Welcome to the Lady Landlords Podcast, where we empower women to gain financial independence through real estate investing. I'm your host, Becky Nova, founder of Lady Landlords. If you're ready to buy, manage, and grow your real estate portfolio, then let's get started. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Lady Landlords Podcast. Today, we have a fantastic, successful woman in real estate investing that I really hope is going to be able to bring you some great educational tips and also inspire you on your own journey in real estate investing. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Elisa Zen from Easy Fi U. She is not only the founder, but she's also the owner and principal operator of over 3,000 different units. So we're going to talk about how she was really able to grow her success to that. So Elisa, thank you for spending your time with me today. Um, how are you doing? Doing good. Thank you so much, Becky, for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I've been following your journey for quite some time now, and I know that you've been an inspiration to me, so I'm sure that our other listeners are going to really get some great info out of this topic today. So first thing that I always like to ask our guests to do is to really share a little bit about who they are outside of real estate. Who is Elisa behind the scenes? Yeah, so I'm a mom of two, and um, I'm uh, basically... Um, you know, I generally just really excited about business building, you know, and uh, very passionate about teaching other people reaching financial independence. I used mm-hmm. to be a computer engineer. So growing up in the engineering family, um, I'm also an immigrant from uh, China. I moved to Canada when I was 17 and then uh, moved to um, Seattle in 2006 and just never left. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worked as a computer engineer, you know, I graduated from computer engineer in school. Uh, and essentially worked in IT industry for um, about 12, 13 years before uh, I was able to retire or reach my financial independence, um, you know, uh, after a little bit less than 10 years investing in real estate. Um, I think it can be done in much shorter time if you have the right people and the right education and right motivation. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. So now I own a company that has... 15 people employees growing to be a hundred soon um you know we're kind of in the middle of doing some acquisition merging and restructuring um and uh you know and then we operate and own properties uh in arizona texas about over three thousand units um and continue helping our investors uh helping them reach their financial independence goal as well um so we started this easy fi university website to provide uh, content and blogs and information. And we also have a YouTube channel. Um, we want to kind of help other people kind of learn the financial independence, how to become financial independent, uh, mm-hmm. mostly through real estate investing. Um, but also not just real estate investing is kind of taking a more holistic approach to it uh, with mindset, you know, um, the market understanding, um, mm-hmm. some, some data mixed with hearts, right? Um, so that's that's kind of like a, what we want to focus on. And we have some uh, big plans for releasing some courses over the next couple quarters uh, coming up over here as well. Yeah. Oh, great. So one of the things that I thought was interesting you said in there is that you come from an IT kind of family, right? Right. So, was, so you didn't come from a family that owned rental properties or was in real estate. That was just not something that was on your radar back then, was it? Right. No, it wasn't. I mean, growing up, um, I think a lot of us 
you know, if you're Asian, you probably have a very similar story to me. Uh, you're pretty much lucky that you're not disowned because you were not in, uh, you know, lawyer, doctor, or engineer. So I'm no different. Um, but I grew up in China, um, actually not with my parents because back in the days, people uh, try to look for a better opportunity for themselves. So my mm -hmm. dad went to Germany first and then ended up in Canada. Um, so for oh. me, he's a mechanical engineer. So for me, that uh, engineer allowed him to have a three-bedroom, two-bedroom, two, three-bed, two-bathroom house in the middle of nowhere uh, in Canada. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, while I was growing up in China, uh, living and sharing a studio with my aunt, my uncle and my cousin, so that lifestyle, when you look at it, you're like, okay, my dad's got a maid because he's an engineer, right? So, and then he um, is someone, if you ever talk to a lot of Chinese people, Chinese people that grew up in mainland China, uh, you know, studying is all you would need to be focused on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like your parents are just like, you don't do anything else other than just study. Study is yeah. very important because that will make a difference. Uh, and then what do you do when you go study as you grow up to get a job, ideally government job, um, or in China okay. or something stable. Um, so then you, you had a maid. Um, so I was kind of subscribed to that concept, you know, until I moved to uh, U.S. because you're like, oh, kind of got a maid, but, you know, continue doing the jobs I wanted to do. So I, thinking back, I think I was always an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. um, growing up, I was always in trouble um, doing creative stuff or you know like think about different ideas to do things differently so mm -hmm. somehow I always be in trouble um but um you know so for me uh so at the time even with computer engineer a very repetitive tack as a software engineer I took a couple internship term in college and figured out that's not what I wanted to do um so I actually applied for a product manager job or you know technical program manager is mm -hmm. what they called um for a fortune 500 company once I uh, graduated. So I figured that position kind of give you a little bit more oversight that allows you to kind of really get into the customer head, tease out what they really wanted, because mm -hmm. what they tell you what they want is not what they really wanted. Um, and then getting that into a technical term and then wrangle a team and get that thing delivered. So when you think about that position, it's a very much like a mini CFO, uh, CEO, uh, which helped me, I would say hindsight looking at it, um, I think everything that you do in life kind of leads to the path that where you're at and equipped you uh, when you find the right opportunity, right fit that you can jump in. So that's, I would say now building my own company, that's a piece that really mm -hmm. comes really handy, um, you know, helping me doing that. But again, once my daughter was born in 2015, that really changed my motivation. We started investing in 2009, but when we first started, I just do something without you know, too much proper in education, um, mm -hmm. but the market was really kind. The market was good. Um, so I think investing in the right market is really important. Um, for, from there, you know, we kind of grew slowly at the time uh, going there. And then until 2015, uh, my daughter was born. And mm -hmm. when I went back to work to commute, um, the commute was actually longer than the hours I was spent with her. Uh -huh. um, so it just kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. And that really motivated me to, I literally typed in, how do I quit my job and, you know, uh, and then investing in real estate. Cause that's the only thing I know at the time I had a single family home. So, right. And they mm -hmm. were brain study incomes on rents. Um, so that's the only method of investment I know other than putting money into the stock. 
Um, so that kind of worked for me. Uh, and then I found on um, Bigger Pockets. I actually stumbled upon Bigger Pockets. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I read all the free blogs. And I realized <laughs> we were doing all our business investing wrong. We were not investing cash flow. There's no goals on investing. Um, so we readjusted that. Then, you know, sold a few hours single family, used that as an equity to bought. Um, you know, fourplexes, which is a great start for anyone who wants to get into multifamily. Um, and then from there, bought small apartment building and, you know, and then went outside to invest and, you know, got into syndication. And that, that's, uh, that's what it lead us to where we are today. Yeah. Gotcha. So going back now, when you were working in IT, was that the place that at that time that you planned on really being until you retired? Um, I think and when I, I mean first started, as like a retire as like a 60 year old, not, yeah, not when I first started, that's retirement was not really in my head. You know, I wasn't even contributing a 401k match program yeah. you know, or an ESPP. I, although in my YouTube, I kind of talked about hindsight. That's probably not a good idea to invest in these things anyway. Um, yeah. so, um, you, you know, I, I think, um, when I first started, um, there was no thought about retirement because when you're young, yeah. you don't think about when you're old. Um, and then I think a certain things happen in your life that changes or changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so then as we kind of going, you know, then I learned about 401k, I spent some time understanding. So then I st- started to contribute to my 401k. Um, gotcha. but you know, like the 2009, the 2006 was really good. 2007 and 2008 is down. Right. So when you kind of look at that cycle, uh, my portfolio in 401k was not what they told me on the mainstream media is going to go. Um, right. So, right. <laughs> so then, yeah. And <laughs> the then, news so, was wrong. <laughs> right. And then, so when you were excited doing your new job, when you first started, you maybe not thinking about retirement, but when certain things are not going your way, or you feel like there's a limitation, a, a cap put on your abilities, especially for entrepreneur at heart, like me, Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's when you start feeling you're hitting a wall. So not only when my daughter was born, but also at the time I, I know, I realized there's a limit for me to climb the corporation ladder. Um, so that's when the thoughts about retirement start to come in because really you're not reaching to your full potentials. And I think most people uh, think about retirement. There's always an underlining reason that I always ask like, why do you want to retire? Cause a lot of investors talk to us then they're just like, mm-hmm. I just want to retire. Right. So it's like, what are you going to do when you retire? Why do you want to retire? Like what is mm-hmm. driving you to retire? That's like a very curious question for me to know. And I think for me, uh, the reason why I want to retire is really for that freedom of choice and freedom of time um, to yeah. be able to spend more time with my daughter. So answer your question. I didn't really know what my retirement plans were um, until my cause has appeared. Then I start looking into that. Right. And gotcha. I, I start realizing the path I was on is not ever going to get me there. Um, so then I start, you know, investing, looking at the vehicle that did work for me in terms of investing. Um, and and yeah. Then, yeah, that's kind of where it leads to. Yeah. So then you had mentioned that you started investing in 2009, mm-hmm. but that was not in real estate. Yeah, right. In 2009, what type of investing did you start? With? Oh, yes. I always started with real estate. So oh, that, okay. was, uh, that was a condo, single condo unit. Now, out of all the different things you could invest in, right? You mentioned you could put money in stocks. You could double down on your 401k. How did you end up coming across the world of real estate investing and Mm -hmm. then deciding that this was the place that you were going to try and kind of start with for your investing journey? 
Yeah, I think that's not a super hard science for us because growing up in Asia, like I grew up in the eighties, um, you know, and seeing the whole, you know, the, uh, grew up in eighties and nineties, and I seen the whole. I live in Shanghai, so I see like mm -hmm. whole entire city just changed. Like yeah. you know, you know, it's possible when you're in the middle of the changing. You're like, this is possible. Now, a lot of people around us got rich because real estate. Because literally, I remember the day uh, the government worker comes knocking on my grandma's do door uh, when the first privatization of housing happened in the '90s uh, in China. They mm -hmm. were offering my grandma to. Uh, basically for her to purchase ownership instead of renting or oh. government sub subsidization, which is how housing always works in China. And then she was asking, she was like, well, does it make a lot of sense? I get to buy this condo for like, I don't know, something really ridiculously low, like $200 or something. Um, mm -hmm. And then I have to pay like a maintenance fee for, you know, $10 a month or something, right? And she's like, does that make sense? And my aunt at the time was like, oh yeah, we're buying these ownerships. So we're buying these ownerships. I'll help you like even do 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. So that conversation leads to, and it's ridiculous because people know real estate in China, like the same condo probably worth like a million dollars now, right? Like it's, oh, wow. it's a ridiculous thinking back, like even double thinking, should I buy ownership, right? So like, oh, that's yeah. Sort of so, so real estate is something that, you know, a lot of Asian people know, like, this is the only way, a slow study way. Um, but the Asian value where you buy something, you pay it off, you buy mm -hmm. something in cash or you pay it off, you know, don't ever have debt. So I would say definitely I'll credit that to bigger pockets to help me kind of change that mindset. And mm -hmm. also Rich Dad, Poor Dad's book, um, you know, Robert Kiyosaki is a Rich Dad, Poor, ba uh, Poor Dad's book. Right. Um, and, and then it gets me to that and which is something kind of comes full circle is um you know now i actually have a relationship somewhat with robert and get to see him at a lot of occasions um and, and it's just like a full circle comes together um it's really so exciting cool. yeah where we where we kind of get um you know when you have your mind when you put your mind into the universe um and then think about a picture right? Think about the vision and then have its magic way to kind of manifest itself. Um, so anyway, that was long-winded uh, answer to your question. On um, real estate, it was a very simple decision for me. I don't even know how to invest. And I will admit the first investment we make is probably not the most savvy or most optimized way to invest in real estate hindsight. A condo right. is not very effective way to do that, but the pricing was right. You can kind of pick up everything. Um, yeah. To me, in the back of my mind, you know, stock, I don't understand it. So for me, uh, to invest in something, I like to understand it very deeply. So uh, for real estate, at least I understand it. It was simple enough. A condo was simple enough to me for me to understand yeah. uh, because I don't have to deal with any construction element. It is just a box. And then you just need to put the right tenant in the right place. Right. I don't right. even think that they were cash flowing because we put the wrong debt on it when we first start and we don't have the concept of there's HOAs and this and that. Right. But, you know, but I, I think the thing that's most there. important, I agree with you, right? Usually the first deal is not like a home run every single time here. Mm -hmm. But what I think you did that I really encourage actually our listeners to do is that you actually got in the game. You actually did something with it. You said, right fine, I'm going to go out and I'm actually going to buy this, right? And I do think that there is something to be said for kind of learning on the job, if you will. That right. fine, it might not be great, but I'm sure you probably learned more from actually doing than right. 
all those blogs that you kind of probably put together, you mm. probably got more practical experience from at least purchasing that first one. Right. And also, I feel like that probably gave you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I hope that that gave you some type of confidence mm. of saying, hey, I actually can do this. Yes, condos, especially, you know, talking to a New Yorker over here, always have crazy <laughs> HOA fees, right. crazy boards that you have to deal with. So, so yes, I completely understand what you're saying. Maybe not right. the best way to kind of start it, but you have to get started somehow. Right. So the fact that you actually said, let me take a chance, let me still do this. I mean, kudos to you. That's probably the hardest part, I think, for anybody is to really make those first steps. Yeah. And then I would say the framework of thinking, this is why I love, um, you know, Dan Sullivan. Um, so Dan Sullivan talked about this ideas of a concept of four C's is exactly what you just highlight over there. Entrepreneur, entrepreneur mindset framework or investor for that matter, because investing is just a, a type of entrepreneurship. Um, mm -hmm. You started with the first C is com commitment. Like you don't have confidence. Yeah. You don't have capability. Confidence we will gain from the capability that you learn. Um, but the first step is commitment. So even if I had no idea the commitment to yourself, the commitment is, oh, I'm going to buy a condo. Like how? I don't know. Like we'll <laughs> figure it out, right? So that that's the framework. If you kind of rewire for some of the listener over there, just kind of doing a lot of research and this and that to take that first step is great to actually get educated. But the more mm -hmm. important thing is to actually have the framework of a commitment. Like I'm committed to do this. It may take me two years. Um, mm -hmm. because I need to do some research over there. But the minute that you're putting that two years timeline over there, being committed to saying two years that I will own a single family home or in two years, I'm going to own a multifamily home. Then your brain start to rearrange a lot of information and put you in the right spot with the right people. And somehow you get there. Um, you know. Right. But it's, it's also better than still sitting behind the computer 15 years later, still <laughs> reading the blog. Right. Right. Um, exactly. You know, and I will say, and we, we've both done multiple deals since that first one. And I will still say there were still things that pop up being like, oh, well, that's a new problem. Right. right. Like that's a new issue. Like right. no deal is ever, is ever the same as something that you've done before. So right. I mentioned that from the, from the prospect of saying, listen, nothing is ever going to be absolutely perfect. The stars are never going to align for the perfect right. purchase. Every single deal is, they're like kids, right? They all have their own little personalities. They all right. have something that's just slightly different than the other um, right. that we have to kind of work through. Um, when my husband and I look at properties now, it's so funny because we'll get like really picky about like certain things. And yeah. I'm sitting there and sometimes I just laugh. I'm like, we never, ever would have asked these questions. We would have never we'd even know about these things right. when we bought like our first property. Right. Um, you know, you've come so far. But there's always still stuff that you can kind of learn and kind of morph into. And what I think right. is so great about your story is also you've continued to kind of build your skill sets and really kind of move from one property type to another property type. So mm -hmm. you got that first condo back in 2009, right? Then you mentioned clearly when you had your daughter, there was clearly a shift in your own behavior and your own kind of goals when you had your daughter in 2015. What did any other purchases occur between 2009 and 2000? Yeah. So as we kind of went from condos, then I was like, okay, great. We don't like HOAs. The next property we're going to find has no HOA. <laughs> I don't think HOA. anybody does. Right. <laughs> and, and I realized that HOA goes into things that is not needed by our condo because they put a lot of money in elevator. For example, we're a first floor unit. We don't use elevators. We still have yeah. to pay the assessment. Um, so basically we want to be self 
self-contained um, uh, unit. So we decided to buy a townhome, right? So a townhome, mm -hmm. uh, you don't have a lot of yard, you don't have any other things to manage, you just have the building to manage. And, uh, you know, you still have HOA regulations, but that's a condo that without HOA fees um, and all the other amenity that is not added value to itself. Um, yeah. so that went pretty well. And then we're like, okay, now we're ready for single family homes, uh, which is, uh, you know, with yards and not the whole shebang. So we're like, okay, this is not too hard. So let's, uh, add something else to it. Um, and that's kind of where it shifted after a couple of single family home, you can, you know, I kind of get a little bit bored. It was like, uh, also that's also the same time, you know, that shift between single family to multifamily happened. Mm -hmm. uh, the good thing is I would say, people kind of look at their job. There's never like a black or white. I think the fact that I had a job enabled me to buy the condo and the fact that I bought these condo wrongly with a 15 year mortgage, no cash flow, um, actually set me up for uh, having the equity to purchase the, the four plexes then later on. And then at the time when the motivation aligns, uh, we just shift the mechanism of our investment from single family to multifamily. So mm -hmm. now when we first bought a multifamily, it was a fourplex, specifically fourplex, because it's mm -hmm. the most unicons for you to be very close to a commercial building, uh, but it's yet still a residential building from a lender perspective. Um, so you don't have to deal with the uncertainty. You're already dealing with multiple tenants. You don't have to deal with the uncertainty of commercial lending, which is very difficult for small buildings. Um, and you still enjoy the regular old residential funding for that so so that's like one piece where we shifted the plan it was a bigger learning curve than the previous ones um, mm -hmm. but still it's the same housing that we deal with it, it, you know we always worked in the value add space um value add means like um you know you buy these older properties um ideally in an okay location and then you uh, you fix them up and you increase the rent to the market rents. It's as simple as that. Um, so, um, so, you know, managing multiple tenants, the tenant types are very different than the people who lives in the single family home, but everything else was pretty, um, not super difficult. It wasn't like so difficult. I don't even know how to start. Right. Um, and then from there, we did small commercial buildings after we rinse and repeat a couple of these. Um, so we, we don't know what the renovation is going to look like. But then actually, I found I like a multifamily investing a lot better because it allows me to have a system. And you can rinse and repeat. You can use one unit and multiply into multiple. Everything can be just the same. It allows you to be really efficient with your systemization. Um, so when we got into a commercial building, uh, there is um, goals I set up for myself. So again, the first multifamily that we purchased was a 12 unit. It's a three consecutive parcel of fourplex. Do I already mm -hmm. know how to deal with fourplex? Yes. Do I already know how to deal with a fourplex tenants? Yes, already. But there's some systemization on our side that we wanted to do. Namely, my husband and I was working in the investment ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. literally he renovated all the units that I manage the tenants. Meanwhile, still have a W-2 job, like a full-time job in the kid at home. Um, so that was really stressful. We learned yeah. that we don't work well as a couple. So it's much better. We don't have businesses together. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one goal for me to remove him from our operation and using a property management team and using a construction team. So I wanted to be far enough so that he can't really drive there and solve the problem, right? Make the problem a little more difficult. Um, so that's what we bought, uh, at the location that's a little bit outside our city. 
Uh, and then okay. I also want to take on an investor just to understand how to manage the investor mm -hmm. um, and take on one colleague of mine, the only one investor. It allows me to kind of, you know, deal structured. It was a terrible deal structure. He got paid more than I did. Um, yes. So <laughs> I did all the work. Um, and then so so from this and that, you know, you kind of just roll one step at a time. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't feel so daunting, right? Gotcha. So there's a couple, of, I want to go back through some of these different deals as you kind of scale. So yeah. I want to actually start back with the, with the condo because you kind of alluded to this and I want to address this for our listeners that I probably have a similar question here mm. is you had mentioned, um, that you bought, that you bought that first condo with the wrong type of debt. Right. And yeah. then you kind of did allude a second time saying, Hey, you know, kind of, that was one of the biggest mistakes we really made with that condo. Yeah. Can you walk us through a little bit about, um, share why you felt that that was the wrong debt service to have used and what you would have done differently with now the knowledge that you have. Yeah. So, um, you know, was with our concept of buying everything in cash, pay things off as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we did is we, uh, bought a condo cause it was affordable based on what we can scrape up to. Right. So I actually, funny enough is, um, I, I put, so now I think about it, um, it's almost like I built the whole empire with zero dollar down. It's very interesting. That I just come to that epiphany as we kind of talk about this. Because uh, Robert always talked about like, I bought stuff for nothing. You know, I bought stuff for nothing, right? So I'm like, wait a second, I bought stuff for nothing. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually took a loan from my mom at the time okay. when the market was down. And I, I was like, well, it's great market because we just bought our primary home. And I was like, it's a great market to buy an investment property. That's the thought process. Mm -hmm. So I had the market, I had the deals, but I don't have money. Um, so condo was what's within the price range, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's affordable, not nothing too big. Um, so then I was like, well, I need a down payment. I need a down payment of 60K or 70K. So I borrowed actually 70K from my mother. And mm -hmm. unlike, you know, people think, you know, you know, like crazy Asian, uh, crazy rich Asian, crazy rich Asian movie yeah. kind of portrayed us all as like wealthy, but no, it's far from the truth. We're working family, a working class family. So my mom it was a waitress and then she saved all these money. Like she's really good at saving and thrifty, but yeah, you know, there's something called inflation. So saving is not the best plan for your life. Um, so what I did is I was like, mom, you have like 70K that's just sitting there. That's not doing anything. Why don't I do this? I will like, can I borrow that money to invest in condo? And she agrees it's a good time to buy. Um, okay. And then I put together a 10 year payment back plan. So I actually had to learn about mortgage debts, how the mortgage stuff works to write up my own note, and then mm -hmm. giving her a payment plan for 10 year term. So for all I know, I have no idea about how financial yeah. structure works. And it came up and researched uh, the debt payments include amortization. Anyway, um, I can't even calculate this now, but back then I was determined. Um, so with the intention, I want to pay her back. In fact, mm -hmm. we paid her back in two years with all the interest and all that sort of stuff. And I oh, gave wow. her a very favorable rate. And then she's like, no, no, you can just have it. But I'm like, no, I want to do this exercise. I want to exercise this. Yeah. So it's that $70,000 we bought a condo with, and then we put 15, 15 year mortgage because okay. that's the shortest term mortgage and lowest of rates. Because you think, again, mm -hmm. conventional financial tell you the lower the interest rate, the better you want to refinance to get into a low rate. So 15-year mortgage has the lowest rate by almost one point, 
100 point, uh, 1%, basically. Um, so I was like, okay, great. So then in 15 years, I paid this off. I own this thing myself and make $3,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. Inflation adjusted. So great. Um, but little do I know there's something called a turn as well. And there's something called a cash flow. Um, the liability of a property that doesn't have cash flow is a lot higher than a property that has cash flow. And here's the reason why y'all have jobs and et cetera. What if tomorrow you don't have your jobs anymore? And then it can be due to no fault of your own. You know, companies uh, go bankrupt all the time. Or pandemics right. pop up out of nowhere and millions of people lose their jobs. Right, exactly. <laughs> so so you could be doing a great job. Next thing you know, your company don't need you anymore and they can just chop you off or new technology, right? Mm -hmm. um, then what are you going to do with your mortgage? If you can't pay months of your mortgages, the bank, sometimes I'll miss my bill. The bank will send me a statement, missed your bill. Do you want to be putting on forbearance? I was like, no, like make sure we do that properly, right? So once right. you're on forbearance, once you cannot pay your mortgages anymore, uh, you no longer own a home. They can just take it away. Right. So that's why cash flow is more important than lower rates. And nobody teach you that. Because if you put mortgages on 15-year mortgages, then you almost have to double your payment compared to a 30-year mortgage. Not necessarily double because interest rate is lower. Maybe you have to pay, you know, like, a, but but it's that certainly more, at least a 1 to 1.5 ratio. So yeah. your, your monthly debt service is higher. So if you receiving the same rent, because rent is determined by market, not determined by you, right? Um, if your tenant is willing to pay that much rent to you, uh, you're likely not going to increase 1.5, you know, uh, X factors to that. So the same amount of income, but your expenses a lot higher, you're going to have a lot less cash flow. So mm -hmm. as a net results, even the condo we bought it at a good buy, it is barely producing any cash flow because simply because the 15 year debt that we put right. on. Um, so that's kind of a concept, especially going into a possible market cycle that going into possible depressions over here, you know, this is something mm -hmm. you really need to look across all your portfolios and make sure you're in a very good cash flow position uh, because your business, you can have a gazillion equity. That's why big companies go bankrupt all the time. But if you don't have enough cash flow management to sustain your payrolls and all the other stuff, you can just crumble. Right. Um, and then it will be a waste because all these wealth that you have built up it's given to the next guy for a great opportunity um so and then you're so then, setting down their broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and same with your bank loan here so that was a mistake that we made um the 15-year mortgage yes the rates lower but the payment was almost a thousand dollars more than a 30-year mortgage so right. i would have put it into a 30-year mortgage um and then make sure to maximize the cash flow right uh, right. So that, You're that, saying that would have been an extra thousand dollars different right. in your pocket. Yeah. Right. And I think that I, I think, too, like we talk about, like, either the interest rates there, once again, being in coastal cities where taxes are high um, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's other just a lot of expenses in these high cost of living areas that, that you and I or many of our listeners are in. Those are things that sometimes it's OK to still buy in those areas where things are going to be expensive if we still get that same cash flow. Right? right. So, for example, you know, when I tell people what we pay on our properties for property tax right here in New York, I'm sure it's the same in Seattle that the prices mm -hmm. are through the roof and those types of things. To me, I don't mind if my taxes are high, if I'm still making the cash flow that I'm mm -hmm. looking for. Same yes. thing. I'm OK. Interest rates right now are really rising. 
I'm still going to invest currently. I'm still okay with a higher interest rate as long as I can still bring in that same amount of cash flow that I am looking for. To mm -hmm. me, it's not necessarily deterrent to say, okay, well, now my, my interest rate is higher. To me, kind of who cares? If I can still make right. the money that I'm looking for and still have that liquidity that I need to then not only be able to cover um, any type of liabilities for that particular property, but then also be able to continue to bring an in income to then help fund my next property. Mm -hmm. To me, that's still going to be kind of worth it. To me, I'll right. deal with an extra half a point, an extra point in interest mm -hmm. if I if then I could still see that bigger picture. So I'm really right. happy that you learned that lesson early on. Right. Um, and I'm and sure then the other vehicle that's like a really awesome is if you once you get in a commercial, there's interest only debts. And then a lot of mortgage brokers that talk to like, you know, mortgage broker are the most conservative people, I would tell you. Because um, as our investor goes, like we barely have any mortgage broker as investors because they're so close to the action. Sometimes they get caught up with the nuances of the rates, right? But that's mm -hmm. not what to be focused on. It's the profit that's being, you should be focused on. Um, right. So so that's that's kind of like once you get into commercial world, there is interest only loan. So a lot of mortgage broker will say, well, never do interest only loan, like always pay down your mortgage. That's another misnomer that main, mainstream media teaches you. But if mm -hmm. I can borrow, I will borrow anything for a percent rate if I can make, you know, 12, 20 percent return like all day long. <laughs> Um, and I don't have to end in a, in a accelerated, in a increasing equity property, right? Because mm -hmm. if you have cash flow, you never have to sell the property. You can wait until the market recovers and then you can sell it for equity again. Um, right. And then again, cash flow management. And then if you can pay nothing and if you are paying interest rate only at 8% and you're making 12% profit, if you can pay nothing and make 4%, uh, out of whatever money that you borrow to invest in, like, why would you know? That's like a free money. Correct. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of the name of the game is what can we, what can we do to continuously be bringing in more money than we're putting out? So, yeah. um, no, I think that's beautiful. So when you then moved from residential, right. And I, I love the fact that you're kind of saying, you know, really that residential is just kind of duplicating kind of efforts, right. To go from that condo, single families, now to multifamilies, mm -hmm. now to, you know, multiple multifamilies, right. What did you find the biggest learning curve moving from residential properties to commercial properties? Um, well, we, we weren't too long in the single family Zoom, which kind of helped because we we're always kind of moving. I would say tenant bases are very different because we okay. just kind of went, well, what is the highest unit cost that we can get away from? Like, it's a very <laughs> particular, it's not just any fourplex. We actually yeah. want garden style fourplexes, nothing wonky. Because you triplexes are the most wonky ones. The triplexes, like I noticed that whatever triplex you buy, it's always wonky because somehow the duplex is easy. Sometimes you just got one side the other. That's very, yeah. you know, normal. Triplexes always comes with some nonconformity um, <laughs> because just the structure has set up. So we want a fourplex. We want the most amount of tenants we can get away with on a residential loan. Uh, mm -hmm. And we want up and down because that's mostly close to uh like you know larger multifamily there is there was no goal to go larger than four before but it just okay. so happened that particular structures that we look for set us up to operate garden style apartment buildings later on yeah. um you know so and then at that particular structure when you have four plexes the more tenants you have in your unit um it gets a little bit less dehumanized 
um, more, more dehumanized. Um, so then this way, like you, basically you are really dealing with uh, normal multifamily type of tenants, not like duplex. Mm -hmm. Duplex, you may still have tenant that have mentality of single family homes. Um, so you get people who are more lower income, who are need housing. It's what I call need housing, um, workforce housing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like, so you have to deal with the fact that, that you can't always count on that paycheck, right? So yeah. you have to offer this repairs. Uh, when the repair goes on, go, goes on it, it swings a lot bigger than the single family home. But the other thing I learned is too, is that if the one unit isn't paying, if you're cash flowing with all the other three units, great. Even better, if you can cash with two units, then you can renovate to make a higher income and do that. Um, so that's like the difference I found in terms of single family home and do like multifamily. So once we went multifamily, we just never went back to single family home. Yeah. Um, although nowadays there are other vehicles for you to increase the cash flow. Usually multifamily always cash flow better than a single family home because it is also a little bit safer because you can have one or two unit being vacant, still having mm -hmm. some partial income that comes in versus single family home. If you don't have tenant, you're done. You have to pay all the mortgages, right? So, and right. then when it rains, it always pours. Uh, you typically lose a job and then your tenant's not paying you, right? So, um, <laughs> and then that's not a good place to be. Um, no. so, so I think multifamily, you deal with more construction complexity. Mm -hmm. uh, you do have to deal with tenants more. You do expect a little bit more uh, delinquency, possibly, depends on the location where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, or more like chasing down them and people is probably going to pay month to month checks, less buffer. Um, and then whereas um, single family home, you're kind of dealing with more of that up and down swing, uh, dealing with the tenant if you don't have them anymore. But I do love multifamily is now you start to deal with more professional and then you can use the skill to save some cost. For example, we used to have these popcorn ceiling. I used to make it a prototype, a protocol that every building we go in will obey them. Yeah. Not really the best ROI. Um, <laughs> but we do obey them so that I can negotiate rates. Um, and then I'm uh, higher on people's priority if I did multiple of these. So you start seeing yeah. that scalability. Uh, where you can negotiate for a better pricing and better management, you know, um, also allows you to systemize. So then mm -hmm. you can buy stuff in bulk. If you were doing renovation in bulk, then you would say, well, the measurement, ideally the units are similar layouts. Um, right. And then your cabinets can be used this way or that way. And then you can now order four boxes versus one single one, you get a better pricing. So as kind of the unit count increases, there is a lot more scalability. Where a single family home, if you go to different multiple single family home, there's not a lot that scalability because every home is built differently and uh, right. every boxes, you know, you got to put in to have different measurements and all the other stuff. Uh, yeah, so paint me, is about the only thing that you can, that you can use from one single family. Right. So for me, it's like, I like the systemization because my engineer background, it was like, if I can find patent, I love using patent. I love using shortcuts. Right. So yeah. that worked well for me. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, no, that's really helpful to kind of hear. And I, I do appreciate it. And I think it's something that we need to continue to protect our time, right? That's usually something that those of us that kind of are looking for financial freedom, 
it is you, it tends to usually be more about the time in our lives and the money in our lives. Mm -hmm. So when we take on real estate investing, you know, this is not a passive business. This yeah. is something that we need to be involved in. But if we can really put these systems in place and kind of think through some, how we can really protect our time, mm -hmm. like once again, using things that we can duplicate, it really does make a difference in kind of how we view then real estate investing and kind of our own happiness along like this journey. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know we only have a couple minutes left here, but we, you and I were having a conversation before we started recording, really mm -hmm. also about just some of these changes now that are taking place in the market between either interest rates increasing, clearly the changes in what, what um, rental markets are looking like kind of across the United States. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if you'd be willing to kind of share maybe some of the changes that you are making in your own business mm -hmm. um, as a reflection of what our market is kind of yielding at this point in time. Yeah, so I think um, it's my of my personal opinion because nobody has crystal ball that interest rate is going to continue increase, and I think that's going to have really hard time um, to curb the inflation that's in place. Um, so, I, you know, someone once told me like I don't really care what happens in the future. All I care is I have the right measure and take the right actions to protect myself against these. So if I'm covered, then I'm good. Um, so using that mentality on our investment, uh, we've done bridge loans before, and now we kind of focus on fixed rate debt. Again, mm -hmm. back to our root um, and the lower, lower leverage. If a deal works with lower leverage and fixed rate debt, then the deal is good to go. Um, and then in addition, uh, you know, we would put in a big cash reserves. So during COVID operation, you know, if everybody remember, there's an eviction moratorium. That's could be detrimental to rental markets because if half of your tenant decide not to pay you and you have no uh, remedies to catch them up in, in some cities like Seattle, where I live, you know, you may go on six months to a year without anyone pay you anything. Um, so the cash flow piece is just got eliminated. So it's okay if the interest rates are going up and you have a flexible debt and it keeps mm -hmm. on going up. As long as you have a cash flow, uh, you're positive, net positive on cash flow, or B and or B, you have a big cash reserve. Um, so the cash reserve can then be used for cash management. Cash mm -hmm. reserves can use for interest rate reserve. If the rates goes too high, you got to go negative for a minute. Um, and then we continue to want to focus on places where we can add value to, force value to. Um, so, so that's kind of a little bit shift in terms of debt structures for us. Um, and additional okay. things that we want to exert more control. So taking property management operation in-house, property management don't make money. A lot of our investors, sometimes they will say, oh, like if so-and-so is vertically managing and they're also doing investment, then they make loads of money. It's like, no, no, no. You don't understand the industry. Property management business does not make money. Um, and, uh, you know, the syndicators or the operators that wanted to have vertical management oftentimes is because the control, um, mm -hmm. because they, they couldn't, their vision as entrepreneurs are not being realized by third-party manager uh, who has other interests, multiple people's interests in their heart versus uh, managing right. in-house. So taking a tighter control vertically and focusing on utility saving, uh, cost saving, like we do solar panels on some of our all bills pay buildings, saving electricity 60%. Um, uh, like you're focusing on your bottom lines to save 
versus just focusing on, oh, what granite countertops we can put in there to increase the rent, right? And then so focus on the amenities that would deliver value to your tenants. So we would kind of like a focus more on that, like dog part. Um, if you get lonely, especially no COVID, a lot of people getting pets, right? So you mm -hmm. would do pet rent if there's an awesome dog park for your pet to go to. If your pet enjoy it, you're likely going to stay there longer. Um, and, uh, you know, playgrounds and soft services, like services for your tenant versus just physical value adds, like adding features and et cetera. Yeah. And also those services are usually things that you can somehow charge for and bring Yeah, in. like providing Wi-Fi on the building. We install Wi-Fi that is a lot faster in speed compared to the Comcast or Cox communication. And it's a asset added, added to our multifamily buildings. And then you're charging back your tenants $65, let's say. Um, and the typical market uh, marketplace for Cox communication for a much slower internet package is $90. So you're actually saving your tenants money, uh, but you also made money by saving them money. Um, so yeah. these are things that we kind of like to focus on and shifting to versus uh, your traditional value add, just like renovated properties. Because supply is also going up, right? So uh, that's, that's double whammy on the, a lot of value add stuff. Yeah. Right. I love that um, that out-of-box thinking. I think that's really a great idea to see, especially as we're kind of seeing where our economy is going to go over the next few months, is to really kind of think about what else we can do to, one, really be a little bit more conservative, mm -hmm. um, but by looking at how we can either integrate other services that we can bring income from, um, while still making sure that we don't lose our shirt and whatever's going to kind of happen over the next year or two. Right. So, Right. Yeah, and then I, all, I always kind of try to focus on the need housing versus the want housing. And this is probably true to all segments of real estate. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're investing single family home, investing entry level homes is much better, more stable because affordable is always harder to find and they don't build affordable because it's not affordable to build affordable. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the luxury stuff is going to have a lot of margin and then it will potentially leads more. And then there are some creative ways to think about single family homes. So I mentioned before, single family homes don't really cash flow. But mm -hmm. if you only want to do single family home, how then would you cash flow on that? Well, you could look at some short-term rental spaces and uh, you know divide the rooms up more, room by like right by rooms, increase the volume, and that way you can increase your cash flow. I met some phenomenal entrepreneurs uh, who's made a huge cash flow business out of their single family is you doing something that's outside the box, you know? Right. Um, so there's different ways to use the same vehicle to think about cash flow. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you gave our listeners some great tips and some inspiration today um, and really a couple great ideas of how they could start thinking about ways that they can incorporate some of these out of the box concepts into, into their own real estate journey. So, Elisa, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Otherwise, I will make sure to put links down to your YouTube channel and also your website down in the show notes. So if any of our listeners would like to learn more about EasyFi University, they can make sure to kind of go over and learn more about you and connect with you as well. Um, so once yeah. again, thank you very much for being here tonight. Thank you so much, Becky, for inviting me. You're welcome. And for any of our listeners, do make sure to subscribe to this episode, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, to not miss another episode of the Lady Landlords podcast. We release new episodes every single Tuesday, and we look forward to seeing you in our next episode release. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're feeling stuck in your real estate journey, visit lady-landlords.com slash roadmap to book a one-on-one workshop with me. I'll help you determine your next best strategy. Or you could subscribe to our newsletter for exclusive tips and offers. Invest with confidence, become a lady landlord today.